0: Welcome to Two Dudes, One Movie Podcast. The podcast where two dudes dive into cinematic masterpieces from a different decade each week. From black and white classics to modern day blockbusters, we'll be covering it all. This season, we'll be focusing on psychological thrillers. And our movie this week comes from the 2000s. It's directed by Clint Eastwood, and it's none other than Mystic River. Rick, why don't you go ahead and give our audience and our listeners a little recap of Mystic River.
1: Is Mystic River the name of a craft brewery or a Dunkin' Donuts-fueled murder mystery? In this movie, we have cigarettes, watery beer, a suspicious amount of jello in the pantry, and just three old boys playing hockey. Two of the boys won Oscars and Kevin Bacon, well, played Kevin Bacon. Mystic River is a thrilling go-routine depiction of crime in Boston, aka literally every Kevin Bacon movie.
0: Rick, I just have to say, growing up, one of my heroes was Kevin Bacon because I love Footloose so much. The original (laughs) Footloose movie is one of my favorite movies. There's just something about it that just gets me going every time, Rick. I think it's when they just cut loose and kick off those Sunday shoes. It just, ugh. So is that your, is that like still now when you look back on it, is that your Kevin Bacon movie of choice? Oh my gosh, there's nothing that even comes close to that. That is peak Kevin Bacon in every single way. So I think
1: my favorite kevin bacon content i'm not even picking a movie he was in the he was in the following the tv show i think it lasted three seasons
0: oh i think i remember seeing that ad for that that. was like my
1: favorite tv show which parker like i'm a cult guy i love cults <laughs> you know wasn't in one
0: unfortunately not yet not yet <laughs> we're about to lead our own cult when this podcast blows up rick that
1: is true We'll open up a homestead in Montana Park.
0: We'll move everyone Yeah, Montana's a beautiful state, Rick. I'd love to start a cult there.
1: I would too.
0: I didn't realize that this podcast was just going to be us talking about Kevin Bacon the whole time, but I'm also alright with just doing that. I feel like the podcast itself,
1: like not even just this show, could just be about Kevin Bacon.
0: Mm, That'd be amazing. There's
1: so much Kevin Bacon content out there.
0: Two dudes, one bacon. We're we're (laughs) (laughs) rebranding.
1: Two dudes, one bacon. I was going to call it the Baconator, but I guess that's already coined.
0: Yeah, no. Step into the bacon chamber. Rick, now that we're talking about this, though, I have a really serious question for you, and I know it's going to split you in two different directions, but you have to answer it no matter what. Oh, I'm scared. Rick. Kevin Bacon or Laura Dern?
1: I mean, I just feel like Kevin Bacon is like uh it's like the man version of Laura Dern, you know. <laughs> he just
0: loved and adored in everything he's in. It's it's not an easy one. I, that's why I'm asking the question and not picking.
1: Fuck, I like. I gotta go, Lord Dern.
0: Lord Dern, Rick, unbelievable, just disappointing. Kevin Bacon's everywhere.
1: All the Kevin Bacon's.
0: Rick, don't worry. I would pick Kevin Bacon. Have
1: they been? In a, no, they haven't been in a movie together. I wonder how many uh, degrees separates Lord Dern from Kevin Bacon. Maybe we
0: should look that up later. Well, <laughs> I don't know. Well, we, that was something we talked about in our uh, meeting—is whether we want to do a multiple degrees of separation between myself and Kevin Bacon, but. Then I quickly realized I worked on Guardians of the Galaxy 3, and he worked on Guardians of the Galaxy, the holiday special, so our degrees of separation is like one and not very exciting. So, that, so that's rated one bacon, I'm pretty sure is the term. One bacon. We have a fun segment that we wanted to start this podcast off with. The movie we watched was Mystic River, and obviously it's an ensemble cast in a lot of ways, but there are two main wives throughout this story, Rick. The wives' names being Annabeth Markham, who is married to Jimmy, who is Sean Penn's character, and Celeste Boyle, who's married to Dave, which is Tim Robbins' character. Both of them have some interesting and questionable decisions throughout the film. For example, Annabeth goes on a full psychopathic monologue at the end of the film. And then you have Celeste, who basically gives her husband up to be murdered based on a hunch. Just laying all that out there, I wanted to, again, ask you another question. I'm just filled with hard questions for you today. But Man, um, I don't know if we're going to make it
1: to end this podcast. These questions are hard, Park.
0: You know, like when you are studying for an exam and you study really hard and then the questions are about nothing that you've learned? Yes. That's what these questions are, Rick. But my question for you is simply this. Which wife would you rather be married to? <laughs> the one that will... Put you up for murder based on a hunch that you're a bad person or the one that you find out 20 years down the road is actually a psychopath.
1: I just think it's really funny because <laughs> I like this movie. I feel like so much of the movie and like throughout the movie they talk about pretty much they talk about trauma and the effects of trauma, right? And Like how it can play in your life. And then at the very end or maybe beginning to end of the movie, they just kind of kill it a little bit. Because Celeste pretty much gives up her husband that all this trauma to be murdered. And, like, she knew he was going to get murdered. I, I'm
0: not going to give her the benefit of the doubt here. She knew the type of man her brother-in-law is.
1: Oh, no. Oh, and then, so then when, uh, when, when Sean Penn's character murders him, then Annabeth is like, oh, it's okay. You're protecting your family. It's okay you were wrong. Just affirming him that you murdered the wrong person.
0: But, Rick, you're dancing around my question here. I am
1: gosh
0: I guess I'll go Annabeth but that is hard I would go with Celeste because I feel like I'm not that controversial so I would never have her fear that I'm a murderer and then have me murdered you know no one's ever gonna like wake up one day and look at me and be like oh my gosh he actually might have killed someone like you might wake up and look at me and be like oh my gosh he may have actually bought a puppy today but like that's that's probably where it ends for me. See, I still think Celeste is gonna find a way. She's gonna find the one thing. <laughs> he left the toilet lid seat up for the last time. That he means...
1: obviously killed that girl in the
0: news. <laughs> yeah. Well, I'm gonna I'm gonna roll the dice there, Rick.
1: I'm a little uh, Harley Quinn type person, just telling me to be evil. I guess.
0: Yeah. Well, I, I'm already a psychopath, so I can't be married to a psychopath, Rick. You know.
1: I guess that's true. So then she'll just so then you'll die at some point. Yeah, well, whatever. I guess since we pretty much talked about near the end of the movie, a very I wouldn't say controversial, I would say divided. Like it's definitely divided. I feel like in communities. Do you like the parade scene at the end of the movie? So like that is this part of the movie where Annabeth goes in this random psychopathic monologue, or do you wish they like let it off? Pretty much with like Kevin Bacon and Sean Penn's character in the street, and they just kind of walk away.
0: Yeah, I kind of wish it had ended there. Just the whole Annabeth monologue, it just kind of felt like it came out of left field for me, and maybe I just wasn't noticing something or I I didn't pick up on something, but it just felt like very jarring for that at the end, um, considering that I feel like her character hadn't done a whole lot of anything throughout the film to that point. And then just, yeah, the whole parade sequence where they're all kind of seeing each other and saying what they are saying without actually saying it, just through the looks and the, the side eyes that they're giving each other and stuff. It's like, all right, we have this understanding. We know what's going on. But like, I don't know, it would have been more powerful to end it on Jimmy walking down that street that Dave was abducted on all those years ago and kind of being like, you know, Dave left 25 years ago and kind of dealing with his trauma from that traumatic experience. So more importantly, part
1: of the parade scene... The thing I noticed, the my ick, if you will, of the parade scene, is everyone is clapping so much. And like I understand that there's like little league baseball teams. So I just want to ask you, like, how often like you, if you go to a parade, are you like nonstop clapping the entire time? I feel like I feel like everyone, like all the side characters <laughs>
0: Rick, I, I actually don't clap at all at parades except when there's little league baseball teams on floats.
1: So that's the only. So like if you went to like a Disney parade, you're just and there's no. like these
0: incredible dancers, you're just gonna. I have my arms crossed with a frown on my face, <laughs> but as soon as those boys and pinstripes show up, I'm clapping and hooting and hollering like there's no one else, Rick. Like it just, like they just won the World Series. Like they just won the World Series, Rick, and they might have just they might have just lost twelve to six. I'm gonna root for those boys. You know what I'm saying.
1: To me that was such a, it's it's such a weird aspect to give the like, I guess just the filler characters that are there, like the background characters that are there. So I think that was, I personally think that was a mistake for Clint Eastwood's parts. I think that he should have made them more
0: realistic. Clint Eastwood had nothing to do with that, but he had everything to do with that. Yeah, Like as a director on a film set, the actual director has no interaction really with extras unless they're asking for like a specialty extra who's going to interact with a cast member or something. That's all, all the extras are placed into scenes by the assistant director's department and given their actions by an assistant director. So Clint Eastwood really didn't have anything to say about that, but also at the same time, the director is sitting there in Video Village during a take and he has the ability to be like, why are they doing this? And I don't want them clapping, you know?
1: Maybe the extras that were flown in or brought to the set that day are all the type of people that clap when an airplane lands.
0: (laughs) Rick, you're not a person that claps when an airplane lands?
1: Fuck, I I am not. I'm vehemently against people that clap when an airplane lands.
0: Are you against people who clap when a movie ends? Like a real, real rouser of a movie? I think you can do that opening night. I
1: think if you do that any other time, then it's odd. Like if I go to Regal right now and go watch Avatar, that's been out for, <laughs> for like three months. The, I, mean, I don't even know why it's still playing. And I mean, I don't know why it's still playing in theaters. Rick, money. Just trying to get all the all the stragglers out there to go see it. Mm-hmm. But like if yep. I go in there and I'm clapping at Avatar and there's only four other couples in the theater, like that's an issue. <laughs>
0: <laughs> and I would love to see that though, Rick. Just someone three months after the fact that this movie is out has the excitement to be clapping at a movie. The the
1: excitement of opening day.
0: (laughs) People specifically waited months to watch this movie because they didn't want to deal with annoyed people like that. And then you show up to the theater and just ruin it for them, Rick.
1: So what do you think this movie's all about? I I guess you can even uh, maybe even give more a little rundown. Obviously, my... uh, my recap of the movie was very subtle. I said it was a Kevin Bacon Boston movie, which it is. I think when I say those words, I think that everyone is like, "Oh, they
0: okay. know what they know what it is now. They know yeah. exactly
1: what happened in the movie. They know the whole movie after <laughs> I said
0: that." <laughs> you know, we don't, we could just end right there. Kevin Bacon Boston movie. End podcast. There you go. It. That's it. Uh, we talked about this just briefly a moment ago. I think it's a lot about how people handle traumatic experiences, and how trauma follows people, and also how past trauma can result in the victimization of those people. I think this movie really challenges the characters in the movie, but also the audience itself on the assumptions that we have on people who deal with trauma, and kind of the stereotypes of films of how trauma creates psychopathic killers and like these dangerous and evil people trauma has its mark and it has its you know its place and how it affects people and it affects everyone differently but I think a cliche and a stereotype that you find in the film industry is someone who's dealt with something traumatic that's kind of the background for why they do something evil I think it's it's meant to challenge that assumption I think it's meant to show Kind of how different people Handle trauma Because it's not just Dave's story It's an ensemble story And it's how Jimmy's character Went on with his life After his friend was abducted And it's also about I'm just going to say Kevin Bacon Because I know his name's Sean in the movie But it's Kevin Bacon It's always um, so
1: much easier for me to just go by names Instead of the character yeah.
0: names uh, Kevin Bacon's character Moves on And they all have issues like sean penn's character ends up kind of creating this crime syndicate there's a bad history of killing people and you know hush money and all this different stuff and then you've got kevin bacon's character who has marital issues and um just kind of this complex relationship that he's dealing with with his wife who's kind of run off throughout the film and so can, it kind of can I chime in one second yeah please chime in
1: i forgot all about his wife we got to throw <laughs> that into the wife question you know the wife that's not even there and she'll she'll just call and just breathe into the <laughs> that's <laughs> that's,
0: you know that might be the safest of the three options rick
1: <laughs> oh my gosh i forgot about her
0: yeah she was there kind of <laughs> yeah kind of i guess that's a good point she's not really there but but kind of but yeah i think it, it really is an examination on how people live with traumatic experiences at its core. At least that's what I picked up from this film.
1: And like I agree with you on most
0: of this, if not all of those points. In
1: the end, like I really just this think this movie was just a Boston movie. I think it played on the stereotypes of how Hollywood and how I wouldn't even say culture sees trauma. Like I'm a psychology major even though that doesn't really mean anything. I feel like I've had a professor that, I like, talked about how, like, our culture a long time ago ruins how we see, like, trauma and mental health today, like, immensely. So we had to break that down before we can, like, build up, like, mental wellness. And we ruined that in the case that, like, you get psychopaths, which is not a correct term. I know. Sorry. You get those people like Jeffrey Dahmer or, like, pretty much serial killers. The public wants to, like, blame something because it's, like, these people are so evil. They obviously were not evil for, like, no reason. So, like, we need a crutch to blame it on. And I feel like trauma is always that crutch you can even watch like i mean it is a brutal show you can even watch the jeffrey dahmer show on netflix and like so much of it is just real or not it's blaming it on his childhood trauma like even the way that everything is so it's almost like it's like a comfort right so it's like this person isn't evil for absolutely no reason it was obviously they had trauma in their history Mm. so i feel like i don't even know why i went on this tangent i guess this movie kind of plays on that a lot obviously tim robbins was the killer because he had this big traumatic past and like he doesn't know what's happening in his mind sometimes and he's scared, he's on meds so obviously he's the one that killed Jimmy's daughter and it's just jumping to assumptions like that so I feel like it could be like breaking that down it's like from the the deep standpoint of like we need to like be on the lookout for like trauma more and like we need to understand trauma more Mm -hmm. in the end, I cannot, I would not even believe for a second that Clint Eastwood thought about that in this movie maybe I'm wrong, maybe I'm underselling Clint Eastwood (laughs) I really just think this movie was a Boston movie I like, and when I say that, like, that is exactly what I kind of made fun of in the recap. There's always a little joke about Dunkin' Donuts, which there was. There was one. I didn't know it was coming, but there was one. There's always the the wives or the girlfriends that have the thickest accents imaginable, just to let you know you're still in Boston. <laughs> if you forget. Like, the main actors, sometimes they go, go in and out of accents, but then the wives, always. It's like,
0: this is, this is a Boston movie. And <laughs> don't, don't you forget it, baby. Don't
1: you forget it. You always have cheap, watery beer. For some reason it's like, isn't the, I'm pretty sure Guinness has a like huge facility in Boston, but Guinness is never in Boston movies. They always have like Shiner Rock or like watery, watery beer.
0: Or like Sam Adams.
1: Yeah, Sam Adams. That was the easiest one. I forgot about that. I guess it's a watery. Sam Adams is just Sam
0: Adams, I guess. I want to ask, can you do a Boston accent? Can we hear your Boston accent? You spent a little time growing up in the Baltimore area, didn't you? So you're not too far. Yeah, but I couldn't even do name. a Baltimore
1: accent.
0: I'm a bad accent guy, Park. I feel like you're more... Do you want me to try my Boston accent? I want you
1: to, I want you to try All yourself. right, you
0: got to give me give me an expression that I can say. Like, I need something to... Okay, let's go from, um... Oh, uh, what's the movie? I'm just going to say something. Or random. like
1: coffee? You can say something about Dunkin' Donuts.
0: The dang Dunkin' Donuts in the coffee shop, Rick. <laughs> So tastes like a pile of dong dong. Got to go to the Dunkin' Donuts on the corner of the, the street.
1: You went from, you were trying to be like going like Matt Damon Ben Affleck, but you went to like 60-year-old.
0: 60-year-old <laughs> Gertrude.
1: 60-year-old Gertrude from the Bronx or something really fast.
0: <laughs> I don't know. I, didn't, I, I couldn't figure out what I wanted to say there. You know, I like to pride myself in my voices and my accents, but Boston is not one that I can do at all.
1: It's a tough one because I feel like it almost takes, like, like coaching to differentiate
0: a Boston accent from a New York accent. Well, I'm glad we still did that. I always love a good excuse to make a random funny voice. Always welcome to make random noises. I'm looking at our notes right now. We
1: have the good, bad, and ugly to talk about. I've not read any of your notes until this second. I noticed your ugly
0: was Boston accents. So tell
1: tell us... I'm just calling you out right now so tell me about your tell me about your ugly park rick, in
0: here. you know th- that's the only thing i have written down for ugly is boston accents and i don't even know if there's really much to elaborate on that but you have to sit through a lot of boston accents in this movie and if you don't like boston accents you're not gonna like this movie rick
1: park i feel like i was gonna jump on my ugly my ugly is i'm gonna rant a little bit park
0: Please, we love a good Rick
1: rant. There is no food review, sorry for the audience. Generally the food review anyways is me ranting about something. It's never positive. So instead of food review, here's a Rick rant. So Parker, this movie, as I stated to you in our little pre-show, this is an FX movie or like a TNT daytime on Saturday movie. And if that's the time I discovered this movie, I would think this movie is so much better than what I thought it was. Because you turn on movies on FX, it's like Saturday, you just had a nice little lunch, maybe a nice little brunch. It's a
0: little gloomy out, maybe a little drizzle. Yeah,
1: Mystic River's on. Let me turn it on. There's commercials. The movie's going to be like three and a half hours long with commercials. But you're going to you're gonna snooze, Park. You're going to watch the first 30 minutes. You're like, hey, it's getting good, but you're tired. You sleep. So then you, you know, sleep, you snore a little bit. Hour later, you wake up, and you're like, oh, I must have only fallen asleep for five minutes because nothing happened in the <laughs> last hour. And then the last 40 minutes was absolutely incredible, and you're like, wow, this movie was really good because you only thought you fell asleep for five minutes. But, Park, I watched this movie. I was not asleep at all. And I just feel like not a lot happened or, like, everything that I was expecting to happen happened. I think this movie could have
0: been a full hour shorter. Rake, let me test this theory real quick that you're saying, okay? Hey, Becky, did you like the movie? She said it was good. She fell asleep for half of it.
1: My wife did, too. <laughs> That's where I had the idea for the rant when I was trying to place my thoughts. <laughs> yeah, so I just think it's it's so slow pace, and I think it's a good slow pace. I I'm fine with slow paced movies. Can Clint Eastwood does he know, and maybe someone can correct me, does he know how to direct a movie under two hours?
0: Rick, I'm gonna look it up right now. Keep going. I'm gonna look it up his runtime for his movies. Okay, I think of like
1: at least two hours and twenty minutes. I think his movies are long. I think Clint Eastwood is a fantastic director. I'm not saying he's bad. I think he's a fantastic director in the way that he lets actors act. He just doesn't over control and these were brilliant actors in this movie. I just think there's a lot of useless junk in this movie. This movie was Boston, Boston, Boston.
0: Rick, Gran Torino is only an hour and 56 minutes long. The first one that popped up.
1: Really? I really thought that was going to be longer. Right now I was thinking what are
0: movies that Clint Eastwood else directed that I feel like are super long. I thought that would be long and the mule was only an hour 50 i think i think what makes it feel long is clint eastwood has very he's his movies are slow paced and so even shorter movies did he
1: direct Gran arena too yeah
0: mm-hmm. he did okay so cause yeah. he, he started that as well he started as well yeah but yeah. Okay. His, it's just his pacing is kind of a slow burner and so even those movies that come in a little under two hours feel that runtime because you just kind of get immersed into the nitty-gritty of day-to-day life I feel like in his in his films.
1: I think it was good like the way like I felt like I was in Boston like I felt like I felt like I was around it and like the the ambiance was good but just man this is probably a very unpopular opinion I just think this movie did a lot of nothing besides the first 30 minutes and the last 30 minutes.
0: So I I disagree with you there I think that It's building the story and the case up. It's also kind of letting these characters live in this world and interact with each other based off of the relationships they have and the traumas they have. So I I disagree with you there. I do agree that it feels long and it would probably benefit just from a general audience and viewing experience if it was 15 to 20 minutes shorter if they could have picked up the pacing of this film. So that's part of my bad. I still thought it was a well thought out murder mystery, psychological murder mystery story. I thought the catalyst of this movie being the backstory of this traumatic experience that happened was a great springboard and really interesting dynamic to kind of be there to influence the entire story because that opening scene really doesn't do anything. It, it, it has no connection to the rest of the movie besides the char- how the characters interact and the trauma that was left from that. But it's it's there and it's hanging over everybody the entire movie. My disagreement there is that
1: I don't really think any of the characters built though. Like I feel like in the first 30 minutes, and, I, and I'll say 40, I'm trying to get to the, the point where all of them interacted again as interacted again as adults. Because after they, like, all interacted again, I, like, knew their relationships. I knew their estrangements. I knew that. And then there, I just feel like it was just kind of a normal crime mystery of, like, gotta gather the clues. And it's like, oh, is it Tim Robbins' character because he has this trauma? And it's like, I just knew everything that was gonna happen. And then they, like, hit you with a twist at the very, very end. Which I even think they could have built... And, like, you you pointed out the twist. We could have seen it from the beginning. I think they could have built the twist a little bit throughout the movie better. But because the entire what hour and maybe hour and 20 middle of the movie is all pointing to Tim Robbins being the character. I just didn't feel like anything built there. I just feel like all the relationships and dynamics that I was expecting to act as, they all acted the exact same way. Like there's no surprise. There was, it didn't feel like I was getting anywhere with any character after the first 40 minutes. It's my personal opinion.
0: I disagree, but I, I get the perspective that you're coming from. Again, we I mean, just having this discussion, I feel like we really hit all of my goods and bads. I will say something we haven't really talked about. The performances themselves, I thought they were all rock solid. I don't think anyone was like, hit it out of the park. But I thought everyone had a moment to shine. No one felt like a weak link. And then Tim Robbins and Marcia Harden, who play Dave and uh, Celeste, had probably the strongest moments in the film, because they're given the most depth, I think, as characters. I completely agree with that. I think
1: that he was very deserving of you won the Oscar for Supporting Actor. I do not understand why Kevin Bacon wasn't even at least nominated. Maybe he wasn't the lead actor or Supporting Actor. I'm, like To me, Kevin Bacon carried the movie. I don't think he, maybe he didn't act the best in the movie. I don't really know. Like, Sean Penn did incredible at it. I just feel like he won the Oscar because he has a very, very iconic scene that's in the trailer of him screaming, is that my daughter? He's really good at acting and screaming, you know, just, I mean, I guess... It's an art, Rick. Brandon Fraser just won the whale, and that was the whole whale movie. I guess that wins Oscars. Yeah,
0: screaming and crying. If you can do those two things at the same time, Rick... You
1: you can can win an Oscar.
0: Oscar, baby.
1: (laughs) But yeah, my good. I think the movie setup, super, super good. Individual acting performance is super, super good. I'm gonna be honest, Park, I feel like I make fun of it. I will always make fun of Boston movies. I'm a
0: sucker for Boston movies. <laughs> How can you not? There's something so charming about them. They're so mean and like they got their accents, but you it, you feel like you're at home when you're watching them, you know?
1: I feel like they always open up and it's like, dang, do I want to take a vacation to Boston? And then after 10 minutes, I was like, no, why would I want to do that?
0: <laughs> but for 10 minutes, you're really like, wow, <laughs> Dude, Boston I'm seems so, so magical. I'm,
1: looking, I'm about to look up Airbnbs in those 10
0: minutes. <laughs> <laughs> Rick, direct flights to Boston. Let's go.
1: Yeah, I mean, hey, my little airport in Asheville. I think we have a new directing flight to Boston. It's like eighty bucks one weekend. I'm, maybe just. I'm sure
0: there's a direct flight from Atlanta to Boston, Rick.
1: Maybe we'll do another a little reunion. We'll 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 meet up in Boston.
0: I think one one season we'll just do Boston movies for our podcast, and we'll film our last episode in Boston.
1: That sounds awesome. We got to
0: Rick. It's happening. Tune in in 173 more episodes. It'll just be on
1: some, like, really, really crappy street corner. That, that's where all these movies kind of take that, place. That, like,
0: epitomizes Boston, yeah. Yeah. Just, like, a, a rundown neighborhood that's just, like, got some kids playing some hockey in the street. Maybe someone driving by abducting someone. You know, just one of those streets. Just <laughs> a daily
1: occurrence. In and there's
0: definitely a Dunkin' Donuts at the corner of the street.
1: Ben Affleck is actually there holding a Dunkin' Donuts cup. Yeah. He's always at his street corner.
0: Oh, that, that's Ben Affleck's corner, Rick. That's where it's, we're going.
1: It's that corner. Every, every corner in Boston. Maybe we can
0: get him to stop by and uh, talk about some Boston movies with us, because he's literally been in every single one of them. That is true. He's similar to Kevin Bacon. I know you probably didn't see him in this movie, but he's he's there. I know he is. He probably played one of the wives. <laughs> he plays <laughs> Kevin Bacon's wife, actually. <laughs>
1: You didn't even see her face, it's just her holding the phone.
0: <laughs> that, that breathing was pretty, pretty low, pretty low heavy breathing, Rick.
1: Yeah, it sounded like Batman, Park.
0: <laughs> it did. If I close my eyes, I don't think I could tell the difference.
1: So Park, we're talking about Boston accents, Boston coffee, Boston creams, everything Boston. We have so many Boston movies. So Park, before we get into this, I'm going to give you my prerequisite for what I say a Boston movie is. There's thousands upon thousands of movies set in Boston, right? So here's a prerequisite for me of a Boston movie. It needs to be set in Boston. Mm -hmm. There needs to be a character, particularly if it's a girlfriend or a wife, that has a thick, thick Boston accent. And it needs to at least have a line or someone getting Dunkin' Donuts coffee. (laughs) Incredible. So give me your five Boston movies.
0: All right, so I'm I'm giving you my top five Boston movies based off of your parameters, and I don't really know if they all reach those parameters or not, <laughs> but uh, here we go. So uh, I'm going to start with an honorable mention. My honorable mention is Uncut Gems. Uh, it's the Adam Sandler movie that came out a few years ago. Um, uncut Gems. Un- uncut Gems, yes. That is my honorable mention. Uh, at number five... I have The Fighter, which stars Mark Wahlberg and Christian Bale. At number four, well, we have this movie, Mystic River. I actually really enjoyed this movie. I thought it was very thought-provoking, and so I have Mystic River at number four on my list. At number three, I have Spotlight, just such a great film. It's been a few years since I've watched that, but just a really stirring, dramatic piece. It's great. Number two, The Departed. Number one, the number one Boston movie for me, Rick. Can you give a guess? I think we all know what it is.
1: It has to be *Goodwill Hunting*.
0: *Miracles in Heaven*, starring Jennifer Garner.
1: *Miracles in Heaven*.
0: (laughs) No, Rick, I'm just kidding. It's uh, it's *Goodwill Hunting*. It's *Goodwill Hunting* with Matt Damon, Robin Williams, and of course Ben Affleck, because a good. Boston movie has been Affleck in it.
1: Now, out of curiosity, Goodwill Hunting usually pops up on a lot of people's top 10 to top 20 movies of all time list. Is that on any of those lists for you?
0: I think, you know, it's been a hot minute since I've really looked at my top 25 list, but I think it's got to fall in my top 25. It's just such a phenomenal movie.
1: Yeah, I think it'd be the same for me. Let me
0: tell you about my top five. Boston oh, I can't movies. wait, Rick. I'm interested to see how ours differ from each other.
1: Or are they the exact same.
0: Or if they're the exact so, same. So, fuck
1: my honorable mention. I think you missed a crucial Boston movie, Fever Pitch, Jimmy Fallon, Drew Barrymore rom com. <laughs> <laughs> uh. First of all, it's an honorable mention because like, what what is this movie? <laughs> I'm not gonna do a little review about it at all. This movie is literally taken from a book about like called Fever Pitch. It's a rom com about soccer. Like I think it has to do with like the Arsenal, like the Arsenal football team in England, but then they like wanted to Americanize it, so they made it like they made it surrounding like the Red Sox. Jimmy Fallon, Drew Barrymore, honorable mention because I do not think it really follows any of my prerequisites. I think it just takes place in Boston <laughs> and has to do with the Red Sox. Um, number five, Park. Any movie, Boston or not, starring Ben Affleck, is a Boston movie. <laughs> He's the only one that he can do whatever he wants. Oh my god! Everyone says it's the Boston movie. Generally, in these movies, again, it was Boston or not. There's usually generally Dunkin' Donuts or a Dunkin' Donuts reference. Generally,
0: someone saying the word "wicked." Would you consider Ben Affleck Batman movies to be Boston movies? I,
1: Park, it's what I wrote. It says
0: <laughs> it's, right it's, it, it's right there. It's
1: right there. It's the system says it is. Park, I can't argue with the system.
0: Batman vs Superman: Dawn of Justice actually takes place in Boston. <laughs>
1: You may, you may think it's I guess whatever version of New York is i de- I'm not a. De- I'm not a superhero guy. What
0: is, Goth- what is Gotham name? and Metropolis? I think is what that Metropolis. That's Metropolis. Like, Metropolis like
1: the New York. Or yeah, Metropolis both is the like the
0: New York. I think.
1: Okay, is Gotham the Boston?
0: Gotham's Boston for sure, Rick.
1: <laughs> Number two, the movie Ted with the teddy bear. If you are confused with Mark Wahlberg, Mark Wahlberg, big Boston guy too. Is he Boston? I feel like he has to be Boston.
0: Yeah. Yeah.
1: He always gives that Ben Affleck range too, because I think Mark Wahlberg has the like he uses that accent more than uh, Ben Affleck does. Mm-hmm. Particularly the scene in Ted, maybe Ted Two. I always mix them together. Of I think they're like trying to collect Tom Brady's semen. <laughs> I'm pretty sure they are.
0: I don't remember. It's been so long since I watched either of those. I feel like
1: that's the most Boston thing, right?
0: That's fair. Yeah. Uh,
1: number three. So I'm agreeing with you here in our top five, The Departed. Obviously fantastic, fantastic movie. Uh, I'm gonna defer with you for number two, that that didn't make your top five, Uh, because I'm pretty sure when we saw this movie, Park, you could share a little story. There was a little emotional moment (laughs) for you. I could
0: never never put this on any of my top lists because of what happened while we watched this movie together, Rick. So I did Manchester by the Sea. This might be one of the few
1: movies that I I shed a tear or two, Park.
0: Rick, I shed a lot of tears when this movie was playing, just (laughs) not because of the movie. So for those of you who are wondering what this is, this is, you know, we've talked a lot about trauma in this podcast, and here we go. So um, back in college, I fostered a dog that was a Border Collie Lab Mix, and her name was Sally, and she was literally an angel, and she was the greatest dog in the entire world, and I wanted to adopt her, but every week... While I was fostering her, I had to take her back on Saturdays to the adoption events. And, you know, we had done this like four times and she hadn't gotten adopted yet. And I was I was like getting this close to being like, I just got to do it. You, you're you like weeks or a week away. I didn't have the resources or the money because I was in college to make it work. But I was like, I'm going to find a way to do it because this is literally an angel and she loves me. And Rick and I dropped Sally off at the adoption event, and I just remember walking away and she was in the crate and she just started barking this blood-curdling scream, and I couldn't look back and I was crying as I was running out of the PetSmart, Rick. It was just, it was awful, it was so sad. And I remember walking out and saying, this is the week it happens. And so we went back to our apartment and we were just sitting there waiting for the the inevitability to happen. And Rick had the great idea to put on Manchester by the Sea so, of course, we watch Manchester by the Sea. As I'm staring at my phone, I get a little no- notification with a picture that Sally has been adopted by this old lady. And there's a little picture they do of, you know, dogs who get newly adopted and this dog, I kid you not, this is the saddest looking dog I've ever seen in my life, next to this old lady, who's probably so nice and gave it, and gave her such a good life, <laughs> but like, she looks so sad and it broke my heart. We actually spent a solid hour after Manchester by the Sea trying to track her down. <laughs> we did, yeah. And uh, yeah, for the uh, the rest of my life, I will always associate Manchester by the Sea when I lost the first love of my life, Sally. So... There you go. I I didn't expect to get so vulnerable on this podcast, Rick. I'm Park, I'm tearing up right now, man. But you know, sometimes sometimes you gotta let people in.
1: You gotta let people in. Let all the viewers in, Park. Let them in. Let them in. Well, my number one's Goodwill Hunting.
0: <laughs> what a transition right there. <laughs> so
1: I just, it was obvious, you know, Goodwill Hunting. One of the greatest movies.
0: It's so good.
1: One of the greatest movies. Probably. Um, I guess Matt Damon's in the Departed. I don't know. Do you think that's the best Matt Damon movie? Do you think he has better movies? Definitely not the one where he like shrinks to be a little.
0: <laughs> um, no, I think I think that the, I think Goodwill Hunting is probably the best Matt Damon movie. I will say I love old Matt Damon movies. I think old Matt Damon movies are like just exponentially higher than like newer modern day Matt Damon movies. Except I will say I really liked Ford versus Ferrari. Oh that movie's awesome That was a really great movie But like Generally speaking Matt Damon from like The 1990s and early 2000s Is just like Chef's kiss Did
1: you know I watched Ford vs Ferrari On a racetrack Park?
0: Really? No I didn't know that That's so yeah. fun
1: I watched it on the racetrack That the uh, Mini Le Mans is on Wow So like Ford vs Ferrari I guess the whole premise Is they were doing the Le Mans So the Mini Le Mans Is on Road Atlanta So there's one night I watched it on the racetrack Wow. great! that's cool. What a fun fact. What a fun fact. Park, did you know, did you catch, there's a scene where I'm pretty sure that Tim Robbins and Sean Penn are they're chatting, or maybe, are they chatting? Oh, yeah. I don't know who the character's in it. It shows the closet of Sean Penn's house or maybe like a back pantry. There is so much jello in this pantry, Park. Did you catch this in the background?
0: Rick, I didn't, but it makes sense because rumor has it that People who live in Boston love jello.
1: Love jello. But I like, I like caught that. I was like, oh, dang, they have a lot of jello. And it was like a big old box of like green jello. And then like, it like cut back to one of the characters of the scene. And you like saw the like top shelf in the cabinet. And it was red jello. They have so much jello in this cabinet.
0: Maybe he has a little jello business that he's running out of the back of his house, Rick.
1: I don't, well, like, I understand that he owns like a convenience store, right? But like, come on, you're not like, if, if it is for the convenience store. It's going to be in like his office. He's a huge office in the back there at the convenience store.
0: Yeah. Well, Rick was there Jello in the office.
1: I don't know. I just knew there were cigarettes cuz of the only time we
0: I need you to go back and rewatch this movie and look for Jello in every scene. Look I want to know where Jell-O all the Jello every is. Every
1: single scene.
0: We'll do one of those one of those Easter egg analysis videos that, you know, show up on YouTube where they like circle and point out things in the background that people don't notice and ours will just be of Jello.
1: My favorite thing about those, about those Easter eggs, too, is that someone will, like, see something in the background that, like, the director gave no thought to and is like, oh, this means all this to the movie. <laughs>
0: yeah.
1: We can create, like, a 30-minute YouTube video about the significance of Jell-O in Mystic River.
0: Of course. Well, Rick, it's about, it's a foreshadowing of how Sean Penn's character shoots people's brains out into Jell-O.
1: I guess that's true. Maybe that's how he like, hit it. In little Jell-O <laughs> Maybe containers. the brains
0: of all the people he's killed Are actually in those Jell-O containers Are you a Jell-O fan, park? Could you just eat? Rick, I don't like Jell-O I'm not from Boston, though, so that's why That's true I definitely like I I feel like I like Jell-O a little bit But now it's just like Well, you were clo- You live you live close to Boston So that makes yeah, sense
1: Yeah, I actually looked up before the podcast Because I was deciding if I would wanted to talk about Jell-O or not It's a weird thing to talk about a movie podcast Jell-O
0: was invented in New York Really? At like a glue factory, I think Interesting. Yeah. We should start a podcast about the history of Jell-O.
1: Again, we could. Jell-O and Kevin Bacon. Those are the only two topics we need for Honestly, that's
0: like, that's peak podcasting right there. Peak podcasting. Well, Rick, we've got, like we do at the end of every podcast, a little quiz, a little fun activity. Why don't you go ahead and lead us through our uh, fun activity for this week's podcast?
1: Okay, so I was trying to think what we were going to do this week, Mark. And we had to do something with the six degrees of Kevin Bacon. Hmm. We're going to do how good are you at the six degrees of Kevin Bacon? I think this is going to be a little tough, park, so I think we can work as a team here. Okay? All right. All right. So it's going to be multiple choice. There's 20 questions which I doubt all of them will appear in the podcast, but maybe only more interesting ones will. It's a lot of questions. We're going to go through it. We'll let you know how good we are. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's going to either tell us like an actor, so it's going to be like this actor was, was in this movie with Kevin Bacon, or it's going to say just some question relating to
0: the degrees of Kevin Bacon. All right. Okay, you ready? Yeah. And everyone listening, please play along with us.
1: Yep, and tell us that we're just complete idiots if we should have watched or known
0: a movie or not. Yeah, it's not like we have a movie podcast or anything. Yeah, we should. There's a lot of pressure on us now.
1: I mean, we should get 20 out of 20 on this. I, know, I feel like
0: there is. We're going to get like two out of 20. People are going to be like, why are we listening to these idiots? I know. They're, you they're listen to no us movies. for my voices. That's why you're listening.
1: That's it. We just, we just love talking. You know? that's, that's why anyone starts a podcast. Rick, Talk. I
0: just like to hear my own voice. That's all. I actually tune out your voice
1: when we start up every podcast just so I can hear my voice more.
0: All right, Rick. Question number one. Leonardo DiCaprio was in The Departed with Jack Nicholson, who was in which movie with Bacon? Flatliners, A Few Good Men, JFK, The Big Picture. I don't know if I know this one.
1: I don't, but I, I'm in between I'm in between the middle two. I'm in between Good
0: Men and JFK. I like... I think it's JFK. That's what I'm thinking. I'm leaning to JFK. just I clicked it. We're wrong. It was A Few Good Men. Oh, close. Well, oh well. Jennifer Lawrence was in the 2011 movie with Bacon. X-Men First Class, Crazy Stupid Love, Elephant White, or Super? Uh, Kevin Bacon's definitely not an X-Men. Crazy Stupid Love, that's the Michael Scott, Ryan Gosling movie. Not Michael Scott. You know who I'm talking about, though.
1: Parker, I think it is. I think it's X-Men.
0: You think it's X-Men? I think it's X-Men's first class. What what does he play in that? I don't know, but that like sounds right to me. Alright, let's just do it. Rick, you were right! Wow, I wonder what he played. No idea, but that has sounded it has sounded right to me. Alright, Robert Downey Jr. was an Iron Man 2 with which actor who was in Frost Nixon with Bacon? Gary Busey, Michael Sheen, Mickey Rourke? Or Sam Rockwell. I think it's Sam Rockwell.
1: That's what I would go with.
0: Rick, we're correct. We're we're killing it now, Rick. Oh,
1: my gosh.
0: Al Pacino was in in this 1995 film with Robert De Niro, who was in Sleepers with Bacon. Goodfellas, Heat, Righteous Kill, Awakenings.
1: Park, this is so obvious. Yeah.
0: It's Heat. It's Heat, Rick. (laughs) you were correct (laughs) alright we're killing it Rick we only got our first one wrong I
1: know
0: alright number 5 Penelope Cruz was in Twice Born with Emily Hirsch who was in this 2007 movie with Bacon taking Woodstock milk the air I breathe into the wild well I believe milk was 2007 all right, I don't think I've seen Milk, so he won uh, an Oscar for it. Oh well, I've never seen it either. All right, you want to do Milk, Rick? I like I like Milk only because that's like the only one I know that Kevin Bacon was in out of those. I know he's not into the wild. I can tell you yeah. that.
1: So that that's the only reason why I do it.
0: No, Rick, it was the air I breathe. Oh, Park. Oh I'm man. So sorry. All right. Well, we're already doing better than we predicted. So we we can are, get the rest wrong, and we you the rest, fight. and we're still better than where we thought we were going to be. Bacon appeared in which one of the Friday the Thirteenth movies? There's like seven thousand of those. How many? Friday the Thirteenth, Friday the Thirteenth Part Two, Friday the Thirteenth Part Three, Friday the Thirteenth: The Final Chapter.
1: So I'm either gonna go two or the final chapter. I think, you think it's out the out first
0: one. Really, you think it's the first? I think it's the first one. Call me crazy, Rick. Do you trust me enough to go with my gut? I'll trust you, because we went went with my gut uh, for milk. I'm going to click the first one, but I do have to preface this before I click it. My gut is almost always wrong, but here we go. (laughs) Rick, my gut was correct!
1: He's in the first one? He's in the first one, Rick.
0: He's in the first one. Well, you need to get your eyes fixed and start noticing Kevin Bacon. All right, Rick. Kim Kardashian was in Deep in the Valley with this actress, Bacon's Wild Things co-star. Theresa Russell, Daphne Rubin Viga, Neva Campbell, or Denise Richards. Park, these are just names to me. Just pick one. Shot in the dark for me too. Uh, let's go with um, Ruben Viga. How about that? You like that? Yeah, I like that. All right. There's no Not, way it's right. wrong. It's Denise Richards. <laughs> oh man. All right. John Stewart was in Evan Almighty with this actor, who was also in Crazy Stupid Love with Bacon? Jonah Boba, Morgan Freeman, Steve Carell, Ryan Gosling. Alright I know Steve Carell and Ryan Gosling were in Crazy Stupid Love.
1: Yes yeah, so it has to be one of them. So what was, can you read the question one more time?
0: John Stewart was in Evan Almighty with this actor. It has to be Steve Carell. It
1: has to be Steve Carell.
0: Correct. Let's Steve go folks. We're, we're doing pretty good. Alright next question. Ryan Reynolds worked with Bacon for the first time on this movie in 2013. Turbo, The Crudes, Ted, RIPD. It's RIP, RIPD. RIPD? I'm semi
1: confidence RIPD.
0: You're correct, Rick. Your semi confidence should be full confidence. Should be. Jude Law was in this 2014 movie with Bill Murray, who was in Wild Things with Bacon, The Grand Budapest Hotel, Dom Hemingway, Anna Karina, Side Effects. Well, I can tell you it's not side effects because side effects <laughs> is the 2013 movie because we were talking about potentially watching that for next week's podcast. Okay, so I
1: don't think that are either of them. Jude Law might be in Grand Budapest, is he? Or is Bill Murray in Grand Budapest?
0: Oops. You know, I haven't seen Grand Budapest, unfortunately. Are you serious? I'm serious. Oh my god! I'm not a big Wes Anderson guy. I know, but that's like that's such that's such a good movie though. I know. Uh, you want to do? Let's just do it. Let's just do a Grand Budapest. No, why not? I don't
1: think it's going to be right.
0: Rick, that's right. Grand <laughs> Budapest. Are <you> <laughs> yeah. Julia Roberts and Bacon appeared together in which 1990 film? Queen's Logic, Flatliners, She's Having a Baby, JFK.
1: So, I'm going Flatliners or JFK based on feeling.
0: Uh, Flatliners is what was speaking out to me for this one.
1: Okay.
0: Rick, Flatliners is correct. Oh my gosh. <laughs> Denzel Washington was in Remember the Titans with Ryan Gosling who was in this 2011 film with Bacon Crazy Stupid Love Death Sentence Elephant White The Air I Breathe We got the answer earlier in the quiz This is like on exams when like certain questions give the answers to the other ones It's like
1: honestly a poor it's like a poorly worded exam but I mean it's, it's the only way I passed anything so
0: Crazy Stupid Love Correct All right. O.J. Simpson was in *The Naked Gun* 33 and a Third with Fred Ward, who was in which movie with Bacon? Frost Nixon, she's having a baby. Trimmers, Apollo 13. Did the glove fit, Park?
1: That is the question we always ask. When that is the
0: question, but the question is: Is the glove Frost Nixon? She's having a baby. Trimmers or Apollo 13, Rick?
1: I'm going to let you take this one. I'm going to side with the Tremors only because it showed up a
0: lot so far in the quiz for no other reason. Rick, I like that logic. And the quiz liked that logic too. That is correct. <laughs> this is not a good quiz. So we're good. Angelina Jolie was in Wanted with James McAvoy, who was in this popular film with Bacon. The River Wild, X-Men First Class, Mystic River, A Few it's Good a, Men...
1: It's X Men First Class, cause
0: isn't McFoy in that? I think so. Well, he's definitely not in Mystic River. <laughs> I, I think it's confirm. I think it's that. All right, X Men First Class. Yeah, we're Correct. This. Rick Bacon has been in six movies with his wife, Kyra Sed- Segwig. Shouldn't it be Kyra Bacon? Just saying. Anyways, which movie were they not in together? Death Sentence, Lover Boy, The Woodsman, Murder in the First. I don't think they were in Lover Boy together.
1: Let's go with it. I don't even know that's a movie that Kevin of Bacon's in.
0: Rick, that's wrong. It was <laughs> Death Sentence.
1: <laughs> of course, for ingredients. Uh,
0: I know. Which movie was Gary Oldman not in with Bacon? Murder in the First. JFK. Apollo 13. Criminal Law. Was Gary Oldman in Apollo 13?
1: I, like, I forget all about that movie. I think it's you.
0: I'm going to say Apollo 13. But again, my gut sucks, so... Wasn't it right earlier or no? I was right. And it was right this time again, Oh, like, fuck. That's
1: healthy, park. You're like a kombucha.
0: Oh, my. Oh, my. All right. Bill Murray has been in a movie with Bacon. True, false, maybe. Maybe? What's that? <laughs> <laughs> I kind of want to just click maybe just for the heck of it. No, fuck.
1: I think it's true.
0: True? Rick, that's correct. That's cool. Emma Watson was in this 2014 film with Logan Lerman. Who was in My One and Only with Bacon. This is the end. The Perks of Being a Wallflower. Noah. The Bling Ring. I think it's The Perks of Being a Wallflower.
1: Bacon's in
0: that? No. Emma Watson was in this 2014 film with Logan. Oh,
1: Norman, I see.
0: Who was in a movie with Bacon. Do it. The Perks of Being a Wallflower. Uh, Rick, that was wrong. It was Noah. Oh.
1: You, hate to see that part.
0: Oh. you shouldn't trust my gut. Bacon was amongst a cast that included John Candy, Joe Pesci, Tommy Lee Jones, and Donald Sutherland in which film? A Few Good Men, She's Having a Baby, JFK, or Animal House?
1: I'm going to go A Few Good Men because that list was just, it was A Few Good Men on that list.
0: Rick, it was JFK. was <coughs> wrong. Bacon's first feature role was in this film alongside John Belushi. 1941, the Blues Brothers, Animal House, or Caddyshack? I gotta say, I gotta assume it's Animal House. Yeah, let's do it. Rick, that is correct. Animal Uh, House. What question are we on? That was the last question, Rick. Oh, Parks, how much can we write? right? Rick, our final score is 70%. You've seen a little bacon, but you've got a long way to go to get to Bacon Town. (laughs) Rick, I want to get to Bacon Town.
1: I want to get to Bacon Town 1, but Park 70%, I'm... We passed.
0: We did. We, can we still do this podcast. We just met the absolute minimum to keep this podcast going.
1: Yes, we did it. So if everyone you were worried listening to this. Know that we have a little bit of validity. We hit our free throws at the end of the game. Maybe maybe a backboard helps one of our shots go in.
0: But we got it in. That's all that matters. We got it in. What we like to do at the end of every podcast is give a pass or recommend for our listeners out there. So I ask you this, Rick do you pass or recommend mystic river
1: so Park, i recommend this movie but there's a contingency mark
0: can i guess what your contingency is you can guess what my contingency is is that it's on tv on a rainy afternoon on so- saturdays
1: yes <laughs> all right if it is on tv if you're one of the psychos that still watch cable and you're just, you're on the fx channel you know fx has the movies wasn't that like one of their Like, FX has the movies. I think that was a little jingle they had, or was that a different channel?
0: I don't know, Rick, but that's a great jingle coming out of your mouth.
1: I think I know. Maybe I did it back in the day. Anyways, that's the only place to watch this movie. This is going to be Mean Park, but when I think of FX, I also think of the first Transformers movie.
0: (laughs) Yeah, I I mean, same. (laughs) Can't argue (laughs) with you there.
1: So I, I, I just think it's that. I just think it's a movie that I don't think there's a lot going on in the middle. I think it's like a sandwich. I think it is the greatest bread ever in the world. It's a beautiful baguette, but the meat inside of it is not good, Park.
0: But still worth a recommend with those stipulations. Well, yeah,
1: because the baguette's still beautiful. I still want to eat the baguette.
0: Uh, Well, I'm going to follow suit with you. I'm going to give it a recommend, but uh, recommend with caution because this is a slow burner. Um, The general audience is going to have a tough time getting through this movie, and I do... Agree with you, if you're not into slow paced movies, you probably will fall asleep on your couch. Needless to say, I think it's really well written. I think it's got a lot of interconnectivity and it challenges assumptions and stereotypes that we as a society make. And so I think there's a lot of good and complexities to this film that deserve a watch.
1: If you kind of had like a spectrum of types of like thrillers, because that's what we're doing right now, we're doing kind of these psychological thrillers, this is on the complete opposite end that Fight Club was on last week.
0: Yeah, totally. Like Fight
1: Club is so fast-paced and so crazy, and this one's slow, and it's purposely slow. So but, uh...
0: It's the beauty of just like genre filmmaking, though, is you have these parameters, but it can go in so many different directions and can have so many different types of tones and themes and pacings. but you still want to hit on certain beats that's expected of the genre. But there, there's such a wide variety inside of genre filmmaking, which is so cool. So
1: cool park. I just want to leave the audience with one more thought. You know, in whatever comment section we have when we upload this podcast, tell us your favorite jello flavor. And if you even have a favorite jello flavor,
0: you're absolutely wrong. Mm. But before we really go, we gotta let the audience know. What do you think our movie next week is gonna be? Any guesses, any ideas? Do I have any ideas? Yeah, Rick, what do you think it is? I just wanna I want your guess.
1: I think it's going
0: to be get out. Rick, that's completely wrong And I'm really shocked that you got it wrong Because you helped me pick it I know, I Uh, I
1: watched the trailer for it
0: (laughs) Rick, we're watching You Were Never Really Here It's a 2017 movie starring Joaquin Phoenix Um, Don't know a whole lot about it But it's on the top of a lot of people's list For best psychological thriller movie from the 2010s And we love to watch new movies here on this podcast Things that we haven't seen before That's been the catalyst for a few of our choices throughout this season so far. So I'm really excited to see this one. I think it, it's it got a lot of potential and it's going to definitely hit on that thrill level that we kind of missed this past week. That's what I need, Park. I need the thrill. Got to have the thrills, Rick. Got to have the thrills.
1: Got to have the thrills.
0: All right, everyone. Well, this has been Two Dudes, One Movie Podcast. The podcast where two dudes dive into cinematic masterpieces from a different decade each week. From black and white classics to modern-day blockbusters, we'll be covering it all. Thanks so much for listening, and we look forward to talking about more movies with you next week. See ya. Two Dudes, One Movie is an independently created podcast.
1: Like, rate, follow, and subscribe wherever you listen.
0: You can find the podcast on Spotify, iTunes, or wherever you get your podcasts.
1: You can also find us on YouTube, where we will post full video recordings of each episode.
0: And don't forget to follow us on Instagram at Two Dudes, One movie Podcast.
1: Thanks for watching.